Good morning from Mayberry, right? Hey, if you were to ask me who's on guard, and I said Deputy Barney Five, uh, how secure would you feel? Anybody raise a hand that they felt real secure with that? That's kind of what I figured. Okay, well, what if I asked you, or you were to ask me, uh, who's on guard? And then I said, Sergeant, or yes, Sergeant Dan Mayer. How many of you would feel more secure? Not everybody's convinced. I don't know quite what to make of that. But uh, Dan is a retired Orange County Sheriff and now on patrol at the ever high crime area of Laguna Woods, right? No. But what would you be willing to pay to keep your home safe? If you didn't have Sergeant Mayor outside guarding your house and you had to look to other options, what would you do? Where would you go? How would you go about keeping your home safe? According to a September 2013 U.S. News and World Report article entitled The Cost of Keeping Your Home Safe, uh, as I read through this, the price of safety is something that people in America are willing to pay for uh, substantially. Just some highlights from this article I thought were interesting. First is a quote. Perhaps a burglar or a fire has not invaded your home, but if they should, they would get all of your money and valuables, warned a 1913 newspaper ad, encouraging you to put in a safety deposit box at uh, Merchants and Farmers Bank. It's interesting, this article, again, dated from 2013, research that they, they had, they said in 2011 there were an estimated 9 million property crimes. Quite busy, I would say. It's interesting, too, that Americans spend about $20 billion on home security systems. They did that in 2011. What's interesting is, is they projected what we would spend by the end of this year of 2017 would be $34 billion to keep ourselves safe. On the other part of the article, they go on to talk about options and measures you could take to keep your home safe. And I thought the most amazing one, the most interesting one that they suggested was to build a moat. Now, if you don't know what a moat is, it's a castle, you know, and you've seen that river or, or ditch that's carved out around it. So I was thinking, you know, my daughter, she's a few years away from being in the teenage years when she's going to perhaps start dating. And I thought that's the perfect time to build a moat. That way, any guy that's interested in making a, uh, you know, uh, taking her out, he could swim across. Because further on in the article, they give you an option to go to aquascapeonline.com and they sell piranhas. So I thought that would be... <laughs> Make it real interesting to see what happens. Get the video camera going for that. According to NeighborhoodScout.com, for 2017, the safest city in America with 25,000 people or more in their city, it's not around here. It's in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. So if you want to go look to Oak Ridge, Tennessee, you'll be in the safest place in America for at this time. Now, if we go a little bit closer to home, I thought this was encouraging. In fact, some of you may have slept in this city last night. Closer to home, top 100, Rancho Santa Margarita comes in at number 25. Whoo, yeah. Fatsy's going, praise God. Um, for those of you that live in Aliso Viejo, you came in at number 36. Not bad, right? 
And if you live all the way down in Laguna Niguel, well, you squeaked in at number 99 out of 100. So not, not bad. If you were to go on the other side of the tracks, you know what I mean? If you go to the other side of the tracks, East St. Louis, Illinois is the most dangerous place in all of America. Moving into SoCal, San Bernardino comes in at number 18, Oakland number 26, Stockton number 32, and Compton up the freeway from here, number 71. I bring up Compton because my senior year of high school, I remember going on the bus to, uh, to that school to play football on a Friday night, and we had a police escort in and out. And I distinctly remember our coach saying, take cover now, rocks are being thrown at the bus. So I understand what that's like. And then to bring it on home, as we got into our locker room for the visiting team, and uh, there were some windows up, up high in the building, and they had some bullet holes in them, so that we were all kind of aware of, this is not quite the safest place I'd want to be. You know, if you stop and you think about it, how we guard our homes and our lives, most of us have locks on our doors. Some of us even have locks on our windows. We have alarm systems. Maybe, maybe you ventured in and bought the Costco version of the video surveillance system. I don't know. Some of you, you don't need to raise your hand. Maybe you adhere to the Second Amendment. I don't know. <clears throat> we guard our cars and our lives with anti-theft devices, having alarms on them, front and side airbags. Maybe you have your car has a distance sensor or a rear camera. I mean, we think about how we want to guard ourselves. We guard our identities, right, because this is a threat for us. With fraudulent protection services, because according to a February 6, 2017 USA Today article, approximately 15.4 million U.S. residents have their identities used fraudulently each year with costs uh, in the area, financial losses being $16 billion. Pretty, pretty serious issues there, I would say, for keeping things safe. Well, the fact of the matter is, is that we don't always have and live in a world that is safe. We don't always live in a world that is safe. It's just the same simple reality. You know, in case you didn't know, the Mayberry depicted at Andy Griffith's show doesn't necessarily exist. And even if it did, as a show of your, well, show of no hands, none of you had too much confidence in Deputy Barney Five to keep you secure. His reputation isn't what Dan Mayer's is, right? In, in the real world. I remember coming home a number of years ago from the office, the church I served at, and I came around the corner. We live on a corner, and so I come around the one corner, and I see this little boy and this little girl walking down the sidewalk. And as I did, I kind of stop, and, you know, I'm driving, but I kind of note their, that attention and thought, as I turned the corner into my drive, I was like, man, those kids look like my kids. And so I get out of my truck and go around the corner and go down, and then sure enough, I just figure, well, I'll just see if they answer to Kendall and Emerson. Kendall and Emerson! They stop. They turn around. I said, hey. Hi. Oh, they're like, hi, Dad. I said, hey, um, does, does Mom know you're out here walking down the street away from our house? And I remember my daughter going, hmm, I don't know. <laughs> I said, well, could you come with me and let's go talk to your mother? So we did and, and uh, brought them back. And what had happened was is when the uh, couple I was going to be counseling got there, the door, you know, and the hugs and whatever, my kids escaped out. I don't know what had been going on through the day with my wife, but they wanted out. And they made their way around. Anyhow, counseling happened and all was good. And then that evening, we sat down with my kids and basically explained to them that we don't always live in a safe world. 
And to illustrate this and bring this home with the greatest conviction and threat that I could, I went and grabbed their stuffed animals. And I held out various stuffed animals, particularly their favorites. And I said, you know, if you take off walking down the street, there's mean people in this world who might take you to be with them. And this little character, let's say it was uh, the pink elephant, Ellie, said, you'll never see it again. And I, they're kind of like, oh. And I was like, do you understand? Some tears start coming down. So I said, don't walk off down the street on your own ever again because the world we live in, well, it's not always safe. Even with locks and alarm systems, whether it's the video surveillance, the Second Amendment, uh, airbags, whatever it might be for fraudulent protection systems, even homeland security that we have now established, none of us are really totally, completely safe from harm, are we? And I haven't even brought up the topics of terrorism and, my goodness, what we went through this week with the threat of war and, 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 and then thinking about environmental concerns. In fact, I feel at times rather vulnerable, like I'm on the road of life and there's a vulnerability sign up ahead just saying, hey, watch out. And you might find that none of these safeguards to protect you, let's, let's just say you couldn't afford those safeguards that I mentioned. Let's say that they uh, weren't available to you. Or let's just say they didn't even exist. So imagine that in an understanding. And then understand that the threat of harm was just as great. The threat of harm was just as great or even greater for you and your family. If, if that was in your situation, if that was... The, the, the story of your life, what would you do? Where would you turn? How would you go about guarding your life? Well, there's a person in Scripture that was in that situation, and he found himself there, and he offers us an answer, an answer that's full of truth. It's an answer that gives us hope. It's an answer that should give us some security and peace of mind. So I invite you to turn in your Bible to Psalm 121. Psalm 121, a song of ascents. Psalm 121. It's in the Old Testament. If you open it halfway through, probably you'll come to Psalm 21. But I would encourage you, pull out a Bible or a flat screen or something so you can look along as we read from these verses today. Psalm 121. Let's pray, and then we'll look into this. Father, we want to stop and thank you for this day, and I thank you for your word and the hope that it gives us, the encouragement that it gives us. Lord, I, I want to lift up to you this gentleman, Ian, and his family. God, and despite the trauma and, and this trial that they're going through, God, you remain on guard. And I pray that they would find peace for their family those who know him well. God, you bring comfort to them. And God, as we get into your word now, I pray that the text before us would speak to us. God, we gain a better understanding in the midst of this chaotic, unsafe world that we live in. In Jesus' name, amen. The psalmist writes this, I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. 
Behold, he who keeps Israel neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord, he'll keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. So our key question this morning is, who's on guard? In fact, it's the title of my message this morning, Who's on Guard? And we just looked here at a passage that gives us an answer. I don't know if you caught it, but over and over and over again, the psalmist says it's the Lord, Yahweh. The Lord Yahweh is on guard, and the psalmist gives us some reasons why. Three reasons why this is so. Three reasons why this is true. And we're going to look at these as we break down these verses this morning. So again, who's on guard? Well, the answer clearly is Yahweh, the Lord God. That's who's on guard. And he's going to give some explanations of why this is true. You know, as you walk in here this morning and process your life and what maybe fears or concerns or areas of risk or threats or potential harm that you think about that you live with day in and day out. Maybe it's a physical one. Maybe you have just got a doctor's visit and there's that that's going on and you're processing through there and you're kind of concerned and a little bit fearful. Maybe it's relational. Maybe there's some circumstances going on in your relationships, whether it's with your spouse or whether it's with your kids, whether it's with someone else, and you, you feel that maybe there's a threat there that could compromise the trust that's there in that relationship. Maybe it's financial. You're looking at the bills like I was the other day and going, man, this is going to be interesting how we pay these. Where would all these expenses come from? And you feel a little bit of a threat there, a little bit of a concern, a little bit of fear. Maybe it's something vocational. It's in your job. And just the challenges that are going on there, and, and you worry about that. Maybe it's something that's emotional. Maybe it's something that's spiritual. You're enduring spiritual warfare and battles and continually going, man, God, I just feel this threat. I, I have this, this concern that's all around me, and it just never seems to stop. So whatever you walk in here with this morning, my hope and prayer is that this will be encouraging to you and give you some peace of mind and some truth. So the psalmist declares the Lord Yahweh is on guard, and the psalmist gives us three reasons why. Let's look at the first one. The Lord Yahweh, he is your creator and he is your protector. That's the reason why he is on guard. He's the creator. He is the protector. The psalmist finds himself in a situation only known to him. And as he takes this journey, there's perhaps some anxiety and some optimism. Where does that come from? Well, the anxiety, it's not uncommon in his journey. This is a psalm of ascent. So what that simply means is there's 15 of these. Psalm 120 to Psalm 134 is a psalm of ascent. They're just all grouped together. We don't know who the writer of this one is. But the point is, is that most likely they're on a journey to Jerusalem. And that meant you went uphill. That meant you were out on the road. That meant that there were areas around you with rocks and crevices and places to hide and bad people to jump you and steal what you had on your way to, say, Jerusalem. And, and so that could be the setting here. And so that's could, why there could be some anxiety. I remember while I was in seminary, I got to go to Israel and see why this was the way it was and the surrounding the terrain, as it were. I think there's also some optimism and while there is this concern as he looks to the hills and processes, there's some optimism about where he's headed. 
There's thinking ahead of when I'm going to get there, and there seems to be a confidence that he will uh, arrive safely eventually in the holy city. How many of you like to take walks? How many of you have found that if you're out walking and it's a good time to do some thinking and praying? It's weird how, for me, that area where I walk the most is mowing my lawn. <laughs> and I continually have thoughts and processes there, and my wife will sometimes say, so, any special thoughts come in today while you were mowing your grass? I'm like, actually, there was this one, you know, or, or whatever it might be. Well, that's what we have here. It's true of the psalmist. The psalmist walks, and a question comes to his mind. Look back at verse 1. It says, I look my, lift my eyes up to the hills. Your Bible might have the word mountains. You get the picture. He looks around and considers that anxiety of who could be jumping out to get him. And he wonders, as soon as this, this comes into play, he says, where does my help come from? Where does my protection, if you will, come from? And as soon as this thought permeates his mind, and he's thinking about who's on guard, as soon as this hits him, he's immediately, immediately comforted by some truth. Look back at verse 2. He answers, my help or my protection comes from the Lord, who made, there's the creator part, heaven and earth. To have that thought and to have the anxiety going on, and he stops and he looks around and like, man, I feel kind of vulnerable. Where does my help come from? Oh, I know where it comes from. My help comes from the Lord, Yahweh, speaking of his deity. And in fact, in Judaism, this word Yahweh, which is we translate in English as Lord, it might be capitalized in yours as it should be, but it's simply the word Yahweh that we translate Lord. Often you'll hear it as well as Jehovah. There's no J in Hebrew. It's Yehovah, actually, just like it's Yeshua, right? So with this in mind, even in Judaism, they don't even say this word. I went to a Jewish academy, uh, not as a student, uh, just in case you're wondering. Uh, I went there to observe the campus. It was with the church I was at before has a school. We were doing long-range planning. We just went around and visited four or five campuses, and I remember walking on that campus and seeing the word Yahweh in Hebrew written, and they actually leave out one of the letters. Not only do they not speak it, even when they write it, they leave off one of the letters that is so holy, like, this is God. So when the writer says this, this isn't, oh, it's just the Lord. No, it's Yahweh. That's who, that's where my help comes from. That's who made heaven and earth. That's my protector. That's the covenant God. The creator and protector is committed to be his helper. You know, I think about this, and I realize that not everybody is willing to accept help. Have you been there? Have you been the one who said, no, I got this? That's definitely me a lot of times in life. And they're believing that they're doing just fine in life without God. The thought that came to my mind was a number of years ago, Actually, it's every year for the last few decades. I go to the Long Beach Grand Prix on Friday. It's free Friday. I can help you get in for free. I, I, I know the secret. Okay? What they have is you walk around the track as they have overpasses for pedestrians to walk over. And there are big, massive staircases. And you go up high. And it's probably as high as the ceiling in here. So imagine a staircase that goes up. You walk across. You go back down. As I'm walking up this one particular moment by uh, turn six, I think it was, 
I remember seeing this elderly lady, and she seemed to be struggling up the stairs, like super slow, grabbing the handrail, like one step, you know, and, and doing that. And everyone's kind of being held up because of her. And being the kind-hearted, compassionate man that I am, I thought, I'll just stop and ask, can I help her and make sure she's okay? So I stop and I go back to this lady and I said, ma'am, are, are you okay? Do you need any help? And she looks at me and says, no, I'm fine. Old people are fine. Leave me alone. <laughs> okay, enjoy the races. You know, and I went on my way. I share that story with you because I think, how many times do we do that with God? We're in the midst of a challenging moment, and God says, I've got promises for you. I want to engage in your life. And you're like, I got this, God. Stay away. I'm old enough in my faith to handle this. I, I, don't, I don't need help. And yet we wonder why we're struggling. Have you been there? And yet the Lord Yahweh, Yahweh, the creator and the protector that's who's on guard of your life. That's the first reason that the psalmist gives why the answer to the question of who's on guard is the Lord Yahweh. Let's move on to the second reason. The Lord Yahweh, he is your guide and guardian. In the next few verses, we see this. He continues further thinking about this and defines the meaning of help that Yahweh provides. Look at verses 3, 4, 5, and 6. He, that's Yahweh, will not let your foot be moved. You might have the word slipped. He who keeps you will not slumber. The idea there is maybe dozing off, right? Not necessarily asleep, but just kind of dozed off. Like Sunday afternoons and I'm watching a football game and you doze off, right, for a few, few minutes. And you're like, oh. behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber, dozing off, or sleep like for the night. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. It's interesting how he processes this through. Why or how can he say this? Is it because he's thinking about LifeLock, which offers a $1 million guarantee? <laughs> but, of course, they put a footnote on there and says, not all, you know, we can't protect you 100% of the time, but we do give you a $1 million guarantee, right? Can you imagine if that's what this guy had and what a lot of people honestly settle for? Without turning to God? No. He has something that with no million dollar cap, he has God's promises. And this offers him security. This offers him peace. This is his guide. This is his guardian. He can keep walking. He can keep going on ahead in life. And as he does, he boldly declares, He, Yahweh, will not let your foot slip or be moved. How? Because God is in control. God is sovereignly over all that is happening on this planet. Psalm 55, 22 says this, Cast your cares on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous fall. A good promise to hold on to. And as the psalmist lives his life, Yahweh won't slumber or sleep. He knows God is always watchful. In fact, he notes this three times. Look at verse 3. He says, He who keeps you. In other words, a word that you could use for keep is guards, or like being your guardian. Verse 4, he who keeps or guards Israel. Verse 5, the Lord, Yahweh, is your keeper. He's your guardian. 
He guides us even where we might slip. It's a step here instead. That's the idea, the intimacy that this psalmist feels and knows from walking with God. You know, it's interesting walking with God versus walking with a God in contrast. You know, followers of other gods understood that their gods needed sleep. I mean, for me to research that and come up and discover that, I'm just going, man, I don't comprehend a God who would need sleep. Because our God doesn't, right? But the followers of other gods did. And we see this in the humorous exchange between Elijah and the prophets of Baal. Look at the screen, 1 Kings chapter 18 says this, O Baal, answer us, the prophets cried out. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made. And, as new, and, and at noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is musing, or he's relieving himself, or he is on a journey, or perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. So yell louder, turn on the alarm clocks, make a whole bunch of noise to wake him up. That is not what this psalmist has a concern about what, at, at all. He knows God never sleeps. He knows God never dozes off. He is constantly on the way. Who is on guard in your life? The Lord Yahweh. He's your guide. He's your guardian. He is your shade or guide in the daylight. He is your guardian in the dark of the moonlight. God gives new meaning to neighborhood scout, in my opinion, because regardless of what's happening in life, whether you're at home or away from home, whether you're awake or asleep, the Lord is there to guide and guard your life. So a couple reasons why he says it's the Lord, Yahweh, that's who's on guard. He's your creator and your protector. He's your guide and guardian. And lastly, the Lord Yahweh is your blessed assurance. He kind of wraps this up in this psalm with the last couple verses. As the writer continues his walk, again, presumably towards Jerusalem, his thought process moves to the future. And the Hebrew points it this way. Look at verse 7 and 8. The Lord will keep you from all evil, and he will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. One of the phrases that caught my attention in this, for this blessed assurance, is the Lord will keep you from all evil. In my opinion, that's a pretty broad spectrum, right? You name it, whatever you can come up with, whatever you can imagine, whatever concern or risk or threat or worry you come in here with this morning, God is over all that. He's on guard. He's on guard. In other words, Yahweh as protector and guardian is greater than all evil threats combined, no matter what they are, no matter where they come from. And this blessed assurance overcomes the psalmist's adversaries. And he has peace with this because God is sovereign of the affairs of his life. He's there and he's watching over him as he goes along this journey. It, it reminds me a little bit of one time when I was a little kid and I was riding with my grandmother. And this is before laws were in place that you couldn't ride in the front seat. Oh, we had it so good, didn't we? And we're leaving, I think it was J.C. Penney, right? And we're about to turn right. Oh, that's my suggestion. And she was thinking of going left. And I said, no, let's go right because there's some habit we have of going right. We turn right, and the next thing we know is there's cars coming on us because we're going the wrong way on a one-way street. And what does my grandmother do? The only time I ever can remember her in gracious love hitting me, she's driving, and she goes, <laughs> like that, right? 
You ever remember that happening? I'm thinking, what's going on? She goes, I'm here to protect you. I'm here to watch over you. You're my child. It's the same concept of God's arms reaching out going, I am here. I am your blessed assurance that no matter where you go, I will be with you. I will keep you from all evil. I will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in. The bottom line, whenever this man goes, wherever he travels on a long-distance journey, and it takes him to Jerusalem and back home, he knows with peace and with truth and security, God's going to watch his coming and his going. And that is the same that's true for you and me all these days later. In fact, Deuteronomy 28.6 says, Blessed shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. A good promise, again, to memorize. The extent of Yahweh's protection and guardianship is both now and forevermore. So when we think about who's on guard, we know it's the Yahweh, and we have blessed assurance of knowing that this is true. And so as great or as purposeful as locks and alarm systems might be, or video surveillance, or the Second Amendment, or anti-theft devices, or the side and front airbags, distance sensors, rear cameras, and the list goes on and on and on. We have greater assurance of our safety, of our protection, of somebody watching over us from the God who is spoken of here in these verses. And while fraudulent protection systems for your identity may fail to protect you 100% of the time, the fact is nothing can take your identity in Christ away from you. No matter what the circumstance may be, no matter what person you're dealing with, not hell, not the devil himself. In fact, the Bible says in Romans 8, 38 and 39, Paul writes, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's hope, there's security there. So I've given this message, and I think, I stop and I think to myself, well, maybe that's a message, but is that real? Is, is this real? I'll, I'll, let me conclude with the story. I was on a road one evening. I was, it was dark. It's pitch black. It was back in 1983, 4th of July weekend. As I'd shared with you before, I, I lost my mom to cancer when I was in third grade and my dad when I was in eighth grade. And so my oldest brother, six months later, is taking me down to come live in Southern California to go to live with my aunt and uncle. Well, we're going to my grandparents' place up in the Central Valley to their ranch. And so as we're driving on this road, it's two three in the morning. My oldest brother, Carl, is the one who's driving our international farm all pickup with my stuff in it. And as I awake that morning, I look out on the road and I, all I see is pitch black. And I see a little bit of lanes that kind of seem to be kind of going over that direction and we're kind of heading in this direction. And as I look and kind of wipe my eyes away, I look and I see that our truck is headed straight for a telephone pole. You know one of those brown, dark ones in the middle of the night? Has a couple yellow stripes on it. Has the nice little red reflector that's now being lit up. 
And as I see that, I'm concerned about us heading that direction. And it's about from here to the end of the parking lot that I see this, and it's coming up fast. I look over at my oldest brother, and this is him. At that moment, I nervously grab the wheel, no power steering, like, and start jerking us back over. Thankfully, there's no cars. At that moment, as he feels that wheel jerk, he kind of comes to and wakes up, like, oh, yeah, oh, oh, thanks, Bill. You can go back to sleep now. (laughs) And I remember thinking, you know, I think I'm going to stay awake. I think I communicated that to him. Friends, I share that story with you to hopefully encourage you to remember that God is in control. I firmly stand here in belief that I am alive today and can affirm to you the truth and hope and security that my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. I'm alive today. My brother's alive today, and we can testify to the truth, the hope, and security that the Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. You see, the reasons are clear why God is in control. He's created everything. He's the protector. He, he, he watches over you. He is your guide. He is your guardian. And for me, and I hope for you, that gives you blessed assurance. Father, I stop and I thank you for the blessed assurance that you give us, that you provide us each and every day, more than we realize it, more than we know, God. And Lord, I pray for each person in here today that whatever the concern, whatever the fear that they're dealing with, God, that they'd be willing to cast that over to you. Lord, if there's somebody here who never has made a decision to follow you as their Savior, ah, Lord, I would feel very vulnerable for them, very concerned. So if you're here today and you've never made a decision to trust Jesus, you're on your own for guarding your own life. Yes, I believe that God watches over you and is in control, but you don't have a personal person that you can think of and go to and pray to and converse with and have promises that you rely on. If you're here today and you never made that decision to trust Christ or you've walked away and trusted yourself, I pray that you would turn and give your life back to Jesus. Lord, thank you for the hope that we have, knowing that you are on guard. In your name, amen. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and